Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another, games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest today is TV comedy writer Rob Dubbin. Uh, up until very recently, Rob was uh, worked very closely with Stephen Colbert and spent over a decade working on shows like the the Colbert Report and the the Tonight Show. But as of November, he is, uh, or as of last November, he's he's a free agent, so he's uh, indulging in his in his love of video games, his lifelong love of video games. So we talk a lot about um, Rob's sort of early childhood when he first learned to code and how he kind of rediscovered. Uh, games again and, and the joy of creating uh, his own games it's it's a really fun chat lots of good stories it was a real real pleasure to to chat with rob as always if you'd like to get in touch with the show you can email it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpoint show on twitter or it's checkpoints podcast on facebook it's very important to have consistent branding um but really you know genuinely if you do enjoy the show if 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 you know people or think of someone who who might also enjoy it please do you know let people know share the show around um i'm always keen to encourage you know more people to to listen to the show so and you know rate and review on itunes all that good stuff you don't have to you don't have to do any of these things but you know if if you liked it you would okay let's put it that way <laughs> and if you if you really like the show there's a patreon which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints if you have the money and the inclination all donations are, are very gratefully received and uh, always put back into making the show as as good as i can make it um it's been uh, uh <laughs> i keep using the word tumultuous um when i talk to people about this but it's been an interesting and insane week in in world geopolitics, uh, and I've seen a lot of chat kind of around the internet uh, amongst the indie community, especially on Twitter, about you know whether or not games you know should be political, you know should they aim for that or should they just be you know treated as a an entertainment product and you know, keep your politics out of games. Um, absolutely not, is my opinion on that. Make make your games as political and as powerful as you possibly can. You know, put everything into them. Um, because it's important. It's it's they're, they're a way of getting another perspective on things, which is always one of the the, the best uses uh, of art. And if any of the the devs listening to the show uh, are, are making a game like that, making some sort of protest game or some inherently political game, then then please do get in touch. I would I would really love to to hear from you and, and talk about your your games. Thanks as always for listening. Uh, please do continue to listen dig in the archives subscribe all that good stuff i'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest but until then let's get on with the show <laughs> good. Well, yeah a little just a little a little ambiance never hurt anybody absolutely so how's it going how is uh, how's monday so far um, well, it's good. I, uh, just, uh, I don't have, um, I don't have much going on. I actually just, uh, um, 
are, are, we're not are, have we formally started the podcast yet or are we just well i mean it? um we have because it just starts recording as soon as i start talking. <laughs> <laughs> all right that Hello. isn't meant to, to trap anyone but for, for the sake of formality let's do an introduction so all right, so great. rob uh, welcome to the show thanks so much for coming on um, thanks for having me if you don't mind would you introduce yourself yeah hi everybody uh my name is rob dubbin um i uh by trade, I'm a television writer. Um, until uh, pretty recently, I was a writer for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And uh, prior to that, I was a writer for The Colbert Report. And um, I had uh, actually worked, you know, worked with Stephen Colbert, my sort of uh, idol mentor and, uh, you know, inspiration for uh, a little over 11 years. And, uh, you know, recently decided that I would sort of head off on my own. So, uh, Declan, you're catching me in this sort of uh, interregnum between jobs right now. So what what prompted that? Because that, like, to, to many people, that that seems to be the dream. That's like the ultimate goal. So, uh, so what yeah. prompted the shift away from it? Well, I lived the dream. You know, I, it, it it was no dream for me, <laughs> uh, and uh, it was it was you know an incredible experience. I I think I worked with Stephen for longer than I had done pretty much anything else in my life uh, continuously. Uh, he's so, just getting really sick of him. No, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, he's he's uh, he's one step ahead of you in that respect, pretty much always. Um, but uh, yeah, I just you know I I over the years watched a lot of my uh, uh, valued and treasured colleagues um, just move on to to different different ideas and different different projects and. Uh, kind of decided it was time for me to do the same that's quite a bold move though like are you enjoying it because you're still in kind of the the, the, of the glow of the whole thing yeah i am enjoying it um you know i had always had a lot of uh uh hobbies and side hustles and outlets and stuff and and, and one of them was video games um playing and actually uh more than that sometimes making them and designing them and uh developing them writing about them and uh it's definitely one of the things i'm hoping to do more of uh so do you have like a a plan like did did you leave with with something in mind or is just like see what see what the world offers up well it's a it's um it's what you might call a high immersion environment uh to work at a job like that i it's a it's a it's a pretty consistently 60 hour a week job you're you've got your head down and you've got um you know i would come home and you know, tell my girlfriend, like, oh my, you know, 13 very significant things happened today. <laughs> and there's a lot of, you know, there's always curveballs and um, developments. And uh, I was a producer at The Late Show as well. So, you know, there's always some last minute challenge or um, tweak or change that you have to make uh, so that the best version of the thing can go out uh, on the air. So it's um, it's demanding. And it's certainly been a, a newsworthy couple of years so i'm sure oh, for sure that was part of it too is um you know the election happened uh, over here um that was something that for me marked a kind of um inflection point uh in the in the, the life of the show and uh and in uh sort of my own kind of engagement with it so i i thought it was a a, a pretty uh reasonable opportunity to kind of step off the elevator so so you don't have anything sort of specific in mind then you're just kind of you have lots of i imagine lots of things that you want to catch up on you know yeah exactly and that's that that's part of what i mean by the immersive environment it was um you know i, I never really 
I never really wanted for um, another gig while I was there. I it, it really gave me all I could have wanted, and um, so it was it was actually sort of difficult to visualize what another um, career path might be from inside that job. So uh, it, really, what it was was I I knew I had an opportunity to sort of like you know. Uh, branch out and, yeah. uh, and sort of see what else was out there, and do some podcasts, meet some people. Good. And, uh, yeah. Well, here's the thing, Rob. Right. So I, I am also a writer, and like any any kind of writing, um, it's basically like living your life always with homework. You know, there's there's always something to do. That sort of classic idea. Yeah. Um, and occasionally, uh, but because of that, I'm always kind of like, no, I can't be, I need to be doing this, I need to be doing this. But occasionally, usually after like a, a deadline for something that I've been working on for a few months has gone, I'll give myself a weekend. Like, right, I'm doing nothing this weekend. And for some reason, well, not for some reason, for an obvious reason, I'm always drawn to civilization. And <laughs> I will sit and I will play civilization for a full day and do nothing else. And, and it's just, it's wonderful. It's almost like... Uh, like a, a, a detox almost just just to really immerse myself in this specific game for like a full day uh is it, did you have something like that when you finished and you had suddenly free time i picked up final fantasy 15 okay okay uh you know and I, I think it's funny that your uh your way of uh decompressing is uh uh simulated geopolitics <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I picked up Final Fantasy 15. I, I've sort of been playing through that, but um, yeah, I traveled. I went around. I the, the uh, went to a few places that I had that I had lined up. Visited some friends, um, and uh, but no, you know, I I it uh, I was able to leave in I think kind of like a sort of a, a peaceful way. It was very it was very I felt very zen about the whole thing, and it it kind of felt like a a moment of balance and. Uh, like when the uh, the the roller coaster goes up and there's that second right before it goes down and yeah, you're kind yeah, of yeah. weightless. Yeah, it was it was that kind of feeling. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's regress then. Let's go back uh, to the start. <laughs> so yeah. uh, Rob, if you can remember, what was your your very first experience of a video game? Um, you know, I want to say it was that it was. Nintendo. I, I didn't have one. I, I don't. I'm actually curious to know when you when you have these conversations with people, what percentage of them, uh, of the people who grew up to have like a really heavy involvement with video games, what percentage of them said, "Oh, my parents never let me have those," uh, because my parents never let me have those. <laughs> um, with, with the, especially with the Americans for some reason, and I think I think the the distinction is that in America, ninety ninety five percent of the people I speak to started out with a, a NES, like Nintendo Entertainment System, because everybody had one. Whereas mm -hmm. in the UK, most people I speak to started with some sort of home computer. So games were kind of like side-loaded in stealthily. Um, so the, the parents almost encouraged them to have computers in the house. Whereas in America, because it was just the console, there are a lot of people who are like, no, you, you can't have that. That's a waste of time. Yeah, so I had a neighbor uh, when I was a kid uh, in, uh, in sort of a uh, primary school. His name was Eddie. Lived down the street, had a Nintendo, and uh, I would go to Eddie's place periodically just to play Mario, Duck Hunt, the really basic stuff. Thank um, God for Eddie. Well, I know Eddie came up big, and I and you know I think a lot of people have an Eddie. <laughs> oh yeah. In, in their in their lives, and uh, as I got, I made different friends, and you know, sort of the 
hop into other people's houses to play Nintendo kind of became a pastime. Like, um, was it something that you were really like frustrated about though? Like, were you like, oh man, I really want these games, or was it just like a fun thing to do? You know, always yes. I mean, for sure, I was jealous um, because you know I couldn't believe it. It it was like getting to visit uh, kind of this. uh, magical world of possibility that other Absolutely. people sort of unfairly had access to. However, I will say that the there was, I think, looking back, a kind of like primordial sense of kind of community around it. The fact that there were there were like haves and have-nots, and it I think created a kind of like a little bit of like a dialogue around the games. Like you know, this uh, when, when when for instance at, at school, when your friend would tell you about what they got up to in the game, you know, the, the, the previous night. Um, it, it, it sort of stretched the imagination a little bit. Absolutely, and I think, yeah. you know, the way that you, the way that, you know, when you're talking about an eight bit system, everyone's already sort of filling in gaps, uh, with their imagination. Um, that's enhanced, I think, by the fact that you're relying on like the testimony of your friends. Yeah, uh, totally. And you could never see them like in magazines as well. When you get like rare Japanese imports and stuff, you'd never see them in motion or anything. You just hear about them and imagine what that must be like. Yeah, it was a time of legend. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think. Um, and then beyond Nintendo, my my grandmother. Um, uh, had a job at a high school as a guidance counselor and uh, consequently had to have a computer uh, to um, in order to do some of the sort of, I guess, database-driven work that, sh- that, that, sh- that she was engaged with. And it was a 286 PC that was at her place. And so when I would visit my grandma's house, that was my introduction to computer games. Is I whatever I could get to run on that 286, I would I would play um, <laughs> on the nights where you know my, my my brother and I stayed over there or whatever. So what what so, would you play? Uh, Pharaoh's Tomb was a game. Um, it was sort of a four color platformer with you know 90 levels is how I remember it, and you would kind of like jump uh, from platform to platform and throw little um, kind of spears of light. Um, okay. At a sort of roster of very simple enemies, and Pharaoh's Tomb was one. There was a Spider-Man game. It was, I think, just called The Amazing Spider-Man, where you could sort of web-sling around. And again, like pretty simple, pretty clunky, but it was Spider-Man, so absolutely, pretty, also pretty cool. And did and, you like? Did you have like a lot of the early computers? They'd have like things like BASIC and, and things like that. Did Did you like? Were you interested in like how they worked and like tinkering with the code? That happened so uh, all I uh, around fifth grade uh, for me was was sort of this like big um, big moment where I, I I grew up in Miami, um, which is where all of this stuff that I'm describing happened. And then um, uh, in 1992, there was a hurricane called Andrew um, that swept in and, and displaced my family. Uh, we, it, 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 it did a ton of damage, wrecked a lot of houses. And, uh, a few months after it hit, um, we relocated to the DC area. And, um, that must have been highly traumatic. Like, like you mean it leveled your house. So you just, you're right. It, it leveled part of the house. It, it, we actually, we actually got off pretty easy. Uh, there were people who's, uh, his roofs got blown off. I mean, there were, there were there were feet of water all around the neighborhood. It was a real uh, 
it, it was an event. Um, and uh, I feel like that could be quite exciting as a kid, though. Am I wrong in that? Or was it just terrifying? It was. Well, we were in our house when it hit. So it was it was like, you know, like our, our, our doors blew open and we had to sort of uh, 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 hide in the bathroom until it passed. And um, maybe not so my, exciting. then. Well, you know, it, it, it made an impression. It's, yeah. uh, it, it was an adventure uh, without question. And um, things started to pick up for me a little in terms of the, what you ask about, like sort of the inner workings of stuff. Like when I, when I was, when I was on my grandma's computer, it was definitely sort of a sport to try to see what I could get to run on it. So there was a little bit of that sort of like DOS era memory management, kind of like configuration file jockeying to try to like load stuff in upper memory and uh, sort of cheat the computer into thinking it could run something it couldn't. Yeah. Um, but then once we were in the DC area, um, I think kind of as a way of, uh, trying to help me and my, help me make new friends and stuff. I, I went to a summer camp Okay. that was called, I can't remember what it stood for. I just remember the acronym was TIC and it was a computer camp and, uh, that was where I learned logo writer and uh turbo pascal and it was like you you had these little seminars and these kind of like early um accessible programming languages uh and so is that specifically like see i we don't really have summer camps in britain so when i imagine summer camp i'm thinking of log cabins you know friday the 13th style lots of sports and stuff was this specifically like a computer club so you all just go and sit in rooms with fluorescent lights yeah, it was a day camp, and it was it was funny. They 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 were they insisted it was not just a computer camp. It was like half computers and half sports. So you would for half the day you would be. They play into different a, grades there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know they were they were really trying to I think uh, uh, offer a a a, a, di- a diversified portfolio of activities. I okay, guess okay. I, I you know. Uh, and uh, that was where I made my first game. It was uh, in Logo Writer, and it was called, I think it was called The Adventures of Sir Lioner. <laughs> uh, and it was just like sort of a tile-based game. I mean, Logo Writer could do some stuff. Um, it was all sort of choppy and blocky, but you were, you were, you were making your own little sprites, and you were moving them around a uh, field, and... You could sort of make little scenes and move between them, so that was that was cool. Uh, and then in Pascal, I made a game called Circle Fighters, uh, which was like, uh, yeah, every, but both players are little circles because that was about the extent of my like okay. graphical abilities. And you'd, you'd move around and shoot little pellets at each other, and different color circles had different special powers. And was this like? Uh, on your own or was it collaborative like did, was everyone there making their own little games uh sir lioner i made with a guy named Srian. i remember that and circle fighters was a solo project i went, <laughs> I went solo um and it was right around that time that i finally convinced my parents to get me a computer that uh so the first thing i ever owned myself that was in any way like a console was a was a was a 486 Packard Bell uh, PC. Um, and this would have been about 93 or 94, probably. 
Um, and that is where I discovered, uh, you ever heard of ZZT? I've never heard of ZZT, no. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's, um, it's actually the game. It's, a, it's the game that started Epic. The, the, oh, okay, the company. okay. Uh, and Tim Sweeney, the founder of Epic made this little program that used the, um, ASCII character set of DOS. So, uh, lowercase letters, uppercase letters, and then there were there were 255 characters in total, and some of them resembled sort of pipes, and some of them resembled sort of walls, and some of them were a little, you know, ease with the umlaut over it and various accents and just a few little symbols. And what he did was he made a framework for arranging those symbols, uh, for using them as sprites, essentially. Okay. And you could program them, so you could arrange them into a scene, and you could selectively say, like, you can introduce little behaviors. So things would move around and you could sort of kind of, if you squinted, you could pretend like, oh, this is a monster. So is this or a this... game or was this like a, a programming language or not it programming language? It was both. It was both. Okay. So it was like he shipped these little um, puzzly platform. Platformers, not even the right word. They were just sort of adventure games um, with this very simple graphical look to them. And then the, the trick was you could sort of hit a button and you were behind the curtain. You could see how it was all put together. You, there was like an editing environment. The early um, mods, basically. Yeah, and it was designed for that. And it was a shareware game. And I think his hope was that um, people would, you know, make their own shareware games on the platform. Yeah. And um, I was accessing the internet through AOL at the time. And I found this really kind of thriving community of other people who were pretty much my age, give or take a few years, people who were, you know, anywhere from 11 to, you know, in high school who were making these games and sharing them with each other. Um, uh, the game designer, Anna Anthropy wrote a wonderful book about, uh, ZZT for the boss fight series. Okay. Um, just about kind of that sense of community and, um, it was, it was really incredible what people made because, you know, um, ASCII art, is kind of its own subgenre of early kind of computer. Yeah, absolutely. And really it was so, so the, the people who were really talented and really had an eye could, could build these fabulous worlds that you could really just sort of walk through and, and kind of learn from. I'm surprised I haven't heard of it. Was it quite short? Well, um, it, it, it keeps enjoying little renaissances. It, 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 it's how a lot of people learned how to be game designers. And so we're not a lot, but, but there's a there's a there's a sort of tidy handful who I think feel indebted to it, both as a way of giving people access to kind of a a fairly robust sort of like object oriented development environment and a lot of games to play and a lot of people who are kind of all interested in the same thing. Um, I actually met one of my uh, main collaborators on video games. Um, through these AOL message boards when I was a kid and um her name's Allison Parrish and I found her I found her randomly um you know in a, like 2008 years and years later uh randomly um she was taking a class that I was sort of like auditing over the internet like just reading the syllabus and stuff yeah and I reached out and I was like, hey, are you uh, this person who I met, you know, like way, way back in the day? And she was like, oh, yeah. 
That's amazing. And so we've um, we've made a couple games together. And in fact, we made a game uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, we got together and made another game in ZZT uh, uh, that was called uh, International Jetpack Conference. Okay. Um, and it's a really uh, good name. You can play it. It's at uh, it's at it's at uh, the website is jetpackconference.biz. <laughs> and um, you know we we. You know, we'd, we'd made text adventures before that and stuff, but but we really wanted to sort of, like, show people this thing that had been so important to us and, and, and actually kind of show that how expressive it was. And, um, you know, at that point, she was a seasoned programmer and game developer, and I had been writing professionally for a decade. So I was like, let's, let's see what we can make, yeah. um, you know, uh, on this sort of limited limited platform here now as as grown-ups um so what, what why do you think you were drawn to that side of it like more so than just playing a bunch of games because it's not all people have that i don't know i mean i i'd had some instruction at that point in programming then i liked it i liked being able to sort of like move stuff around and 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 it, it felt like magic you know sort of like the 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 kind of like spellcraft just to be able to say like I want this to move when I tell it to move, and yeah, you know, were you, were I, you still playing a lot of games though around this period at the same time? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, that was where, I mean, that was around the time where I sort of, um, I feel like everybody has like that one game that kind of like really kind of cracked it open for them. Uh, for me, for me, it's uh, a game called Star Control Two. Um, that's a like. The, it was the, it was a game that just all of a sudden a lot of the stuff that I had had sort of in my head that I was filling in the gaps with where I was like you know imagining the bigger world that was that this game was trying to show me with sort of a limited palette Star Control 2 like had it all in the game like it was it was a it was a VGA like like you know uh, it had what felt like trillions of colors in it um, it was it's this big space opera where you're trying to stop like a kind of malevolent alien race from just like cleansing the entire galaxy of life. And so you have to like fly around and meet all these other alien races who all have their own sort of agendas and uh, personalities and you kind of play them all against each other and learn secretly secret. hoping it's really the last starfighter. <laughs> yeah. It's well, you know, and uh, it, it, it was this sort of like incredible experience like that I um, kind of learned about right as I was leaving Miami and then once I got the computer my, my, my mission was to get it to run on the yeah. you know on the computer that I that I owned and so you know my, my brother and I would just play it for hours and hours at a time um, and it it set a lot of early standards for me for like kind of um, just just what a game could what a game could provide in terms of like agency yeah absolutely like it, in terms of the, the the story that it was trying to tell you kind of corresponding to the mechanics that it was asking you to master um and as you got better and better at the game you were kind of unlocking more and more of the story and it was also really funny it was a it was you know kind of the 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 first game that I would really call like kind of like a like a comedy influence on me. Okay. Um, 
so it was, you know, it was these really, really high stakes, but they managed to have these like sort of laugh out loud moments in it, um, which I think even then I knew enough to be impressed by. Uh, and did you have like you say you played with your your brother and you obviously had people you were collaborating with online, but was there like a, a kind of broader social scene around video games that you, did you have your gang of friends and stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was you know I I kind of found those people pretty fast. One was this guy Sam that I met. Um, you know, at, at, at computer camp. Um, and, uh, actually I think our moms met at a PTA meeting and she told my mom about computer camp and that's how I ended up at computer camp. <laughs> uh, but I was grateful, you know, I, I, uh, we, we played, Sam and I played wing commander together. We played, uh, a lot of wing commander together. Um, a friend named Dave and Dave and I played a lot of Dave was like sort of my RTS friends. Like we would play like Command and Conquer and Age of Empires and Warcraft. And it was sort of the early modem days. So like you could sort of, if you, if, if, if the stars aligned, you could kind of, um, have like a kind of like, you know, early multiplayer experience over computers. Like one or two times we managed to actually like get everything together and have like a, a real like land party. But that was, that was, that was tough. Cause the, our computers were like giant beige cinder blocks. Yeah. <laughs> it was like not a, it was not an easy. Did you ever uh, get get consoles, or did you do you feel like you were missing out on the consoles? Yeah, I mean, I I I really wanted a. I remember I really wanted a Genesis, by by this time, like that that was around the time that it was out and and kind of making waves. But I think my parents wisely understood that there was this other that there was stuff I was learning from the computer where it was a little more of like kind of a one-way conversation with the consoles like yeah. you, you 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 couldn't turn that thing inside out and you couldn't hit the edit button and see how they did it you know and I don't think they understood it to that level and certainly there was like a ton of time that I wasted over the internet you know I I played like a an early MMO called Gemstone through AOL and uh, actually um, got so hooked on it that I blew past at the time AOL um, gave you an allotment of minutes yeah. every month and if you exceeded that allowance they would charge you on your phone bill <laughs> uh, and so uh, the there was a really just fateful night where like a, a phone bill came back to my parents that had like you know $300 in charges on them and they were like <laughs> uh, could you tell us what's going on here and I was like oh um, yeah the, the bad news is the next phone bill is going to be worse, but I, <laughs> but I, but I, uh, I, I sort of learned, I sort of learned an important lesson there about, you know, limits <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So you could get up, you can get into trouble with a computer. Oh, absolutely. But they, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was that the, somehow a computer just felt sort of more, uh, it felt like more of a high fiber diet. Absolutely. Them, yeah. This is your vegetables and, yeah. and the potatoes. Um, so, so like, was it in your head? I know you're still quite young at this point, but was it in your head that like making games was something that you'd like to do? Like, did it seem obviously you knew how sort of they worked and you did some basic programming, but did it seem like something feasible that you could do and you were interested in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, you know, it it, 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 I, I felt like I was doing it, you know, like I was, I was sort of part of a community. I was, you know, I, I, 
I released one ZZT game called Nuclear Madman when I was a uh, when I was a, a you know 13, and uh, mostly kind of lurked and read the forums and played other people's games and kind of worked on little projects on the side. Um, I, I I I definitely didn't count myself as one of the sort of better uh, designers, but I I don't know I I don't think I really thought of it at the time as a as a future path i think it was just something that i was yeah just something was, that was, was fun doing yeah and enjoying um did you ever like in the sort of teenagers there's generally like a classic oh i'm not into games those are just for kids and go off and join a band or something for a couple of years did you have any sort of period when you felt like oh no this is this is behind me i'm gonna step away from game well i um uh, I what ended up happening is we moved back to Miami. So I was in I was in the DC area for about three years, and I had this kind of like um, this. It, it it was in a way a period of isolation where I sort of had to make all new friends and it was just in a whole new environment. And then when we moved back to Miami, and it was like you know the 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 friends from before and my family from who was always there. I, I have a lot of family down there. Yeah, and it was almost like. Um, life kind of picked back up again and, and high school happened and there was just a lot more to sort of think about. I got sort of, I, I was, old, I was a bit of a bookworm. So I, uh, you know, kind of got back into school and I got back into sort of regular programming. Like I, I got into computer science a little bit more and, um, that's when I learned basic actually when I was a freshman in high school. And, uh, so that was more like, you know, graphics demos and, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I even, I made, I made some like, you know, uh, you know, uh, early DOS malware, you know, with, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, a, a sort of dalliance with using my powers for evil. Um, what, what, like, give us an example. We had a contest. I had some friends in that class and we had a contest to see who could make a program that would fill up a hard drive with garbage the fastest. <laughs> to just using various algorithms to like kind of like create like a junk file that would be filled with zeros or whatever and then the computer would freak out when it ran out of hard drive space i mean like that's that's malware is a generous term for that but (laughs) and one of those uh, boys was mark zuckerberg yeah right (laughs) um Uh, so so you you didn't pursue the kind of the hack hacker lifestyle no i didn't uh you know i i uh I think the rest of the rest of high school sort of took over, and I, when I went to college, I, I sort of thought about maybe trying to do computer science for a second as a as a major, but um, I didn't I didn't really have the the chops in math. Um, I kind of hit a wall where like you know my kind of like uh, my background uh, wasn't kind of I, I guess looking back like in more sort of like artistic types of programming and not in the sort of more like kind of like understanding how you know networks operate and uh uh, higher level so what did you what did you do in university then uh i was a uh, it was a it was a a major called history and literature that was about um understanding kind of um written work in its historical context okay uh so you would sort of uh, the the presumption was like you know uh, that rather than, you know, a, a novel taking place in sort of an artistic vacuum, uh, 
you know, often that author had letters and was talking about their struggles writing the book. And uh, during that time, there was a revolution in the air and whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I know what you mean. The, the, yeah, like the so ha- trying to argue for the ways that the real world would seep into people's art. And so, um, did what, you did you continue playing games though? Like, did you take a computer or a console to university with you? Yeah, like sort of through high school and college. That was like um, we we ended up getting. It was when I was in high school that I actually got the first console that I ever had. It was a, it was a Nintendo sixty four. Oh, that's um, good first. Yeah, so like um, I that was like kind of the the, the Smash Brothers period of my life. Uh, you might call it. I got I got really good at. I really got really good at Super Smash Brothers and, you know, played a fair amount of that in college. Um, once you were in college, you know, everyone was on sort of like the, you weren't on a dial-up modem anymore. Everybody was on this sort of blazing fast network. Yeah. Um, and so we played a lot of like, you know, like Unreal Tournament on our computers, you know, dorm to dorm. And was uh, there like, because I mean, I feel like this is totally shifted now, but I'm not sure when the transition happened. Like was... Were video games cool when you were in university? Because they they weren't for me really. It was still very much like are you into game, like it's something you whispered to somebody in the in the halls. <laughs> cool, cool is a relative term. Well, uh, absolutely, I, know. I know what you mean. Yeah, but... like I I I think that I found a group of friends who, kind of like you were saying earlier, like it was a it was a way to unwind. Yeah. Together, you know, it was a it was a thing where you could sort of all gather in one place, especially Smash Brothers, which was like kind of a local only um, phenomenon where you just had to, you had to get that group of people together. And so we would, we would play a fair amount of that. And then, yeah, sometimes, you know, everyone would sort of call, call a study break and fire up, you know, Unreal Tournament or something. I, I played, um, I played, and I'm realizing now that we talk about this, I actually had a game, I had one of the original Game Boys um okay you know, so i i did have a console not it, it, it was like the console attached to the television that was sort of the weird the line in the sand that my parents drew for a long time um but i also in college you know started playing old games like that on emulators and stuff and but um, do, do you feel like like the, the way you're sort of talking about it now it feels like it's become kind of just like a, a background hobby essentially like were you were you really invested in games to the point where you, like were you seeking out specific games and you know or were you just playing whatever was new and whatever was on the shelves not no i mean I, I i never really developed that appetite for sort of like the latest thing i i, I um i mean in college specifically i kept pretty busy so i, I was it was sort of like catch as catch can um although looking back i did have a lot more time than i thought you know to you know put 80 hours into Final Fantasy Tactics Advance or whatever. Like, uh, but, but that definitely happened. Everyone's point. been there, Rob. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it sort of did fade to the background a little bit. Um, you know, I, I had been, I was out of college for a couple of years and I was, I was writing for the Colbert Report and had been doing that for a couple of years when I started to sort of get the itch again to um, explore what it might mean to make games again as a as a grown-up um well how did how did you like transition from university to the the colbert report was that just applied for a job or like like how did that happen because that that does seem like quite a big leap well it it, i uh i suppose it was i mean another 
another thing that took up a lot of my time when I was in college is um, I I wrote for a magazine, the Harvard Lampoon. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so I had a lot of role models. I, I knew a lot of people who were, you know, kind of my peers, and I learned sort of what it meant to write jokes and to produce sort of, you know, we made a magazine. You know, we, we actually did make a magazine. And um, I mean, that's like an incredibly famous magazine you know that's where most simpsons writers started well so you you spend some time there and you and it and it and it puts ideas in your head um about what you might what you might do and 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 so i knew enough people who were kind of doing it yeah. i was for it obviously very fortunate um uh it was a it was a just you know tremendous privilege to be involved with that place and t- to meet those people and to sort of soak up those lessons because um yeah, you know, when I graduated college, I, I kind of decided that was going to be my path, that I was going to try to, um, you know, put myself up for jobs like that just by writing kind of speculative um, uh, pieces for like The Daily Show and yeah. uh, various, you know, Conan. Uh, and I had, I had written a handful of those. I, I got a job out of college, you know, re- reviewing cameras uh, for a for a website called CNET. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's still around, and uh, I loved working there. Actually, I, it was a it was a great job. Um, you know, it, it sort of like scratched my uh, itch as like a sort of technologically minded person. Um, and it was you know, job ended at around five o'clock every day, so I could go home and work on jokes and. Uh, you know, uh, send them in to people and often not hear anything back, uh, ever. It's, it's not, it's not the most encouraging, um, uh, professional, uh, process by, by nature. Cause everyone's, you know, got their hair on fire trying to make television themselves. Um, and, uh, but I'm curious uh, as to like how, how games would have fit into that kind of community. Like the sort of the comedy writing kind of very sort of I say very traditional, but like I don't mean traditional. I mean like with a, a sort of rich legacy, let's say. You know, there's there were you could play video games there sometimes. I mean, I, I, I there were a few other people there who played Smash Brothers, and that would you know periodically be a way that you would blow off some steam. Um, but it, it it really wasn't so much. Um, I other than the fact that. You know, um, eventually I did edit an issue of the Lampoon, and it was video game themed. Um, so people, you know, I, I was the uh, issue sort of passed from editor to editor, um, and 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 if you if you if you've been there long enough, sort of you you get a turn eventually before you graduate. Um, That's amazing. But you do yeah, see so- that though, like I mean, you have seen that in the past sort of ten years, the kind of. It's very similar to kind of the the age of video games, I guess, and the generations that come past. That games are are being featured on on things like you know late night TV and stuff in a much more kind of simpatico to to films or TV or something. It's just his his games too, because everyone plays games, right? It's it's not so much of a, a weird niche thing when like Shigeru Miyamoto is on Jimmy Fallon show and stuff. Yeah, no, it's true, and and, and there is more of an acknowledgement that they are the sort of like kind of. Uh, part of the, the 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 grand tapestry of culture, yeah, uh, or whatever. But um, you know, uh, I didn't. I I did. I in terms of it being focus or even sort of a distraction, I I I I, I had sort of a pause um, where I didn't um, 
wasn't engaged with it in the same sort of like necessarily creative way. I, I think there are probably a bunch of games that I played just sort of idly. I mean, I for a while I would just play Star Control Two again every year for for, for a while, you know, like just over and over again because because it was such a, a sort of a calming ritual for me to kind of like know where know how to beat this very hard game, kind of as like a like to have the have the map in my head. Yeah, to to go back through and just kind of like game had really good music you know just sort of let it wash over me a little was 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 therapeutic in its way i do think there is something to like um especially kind of more kind of twitchy based games that you really have to kind of focus on like if you can get into a kind of flow state when playing something i think it's it's, it's similar to like just sitting down at a piano and, and playing a song it doesn't matter if you've heard it a thousand times it's just yeah the whole physical and you know oral sensation is just pleasurable in itself you know yeah, it's a nice way to put it. I, um, I, 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 you know, the, and 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 it definitely had that role for me, especially as like I just took on sort of like a you know demanding job that that was pretty busy and and um, took up a lot of my time. Um, it was when I found Allison on the on the net um, that we got together and made a text adventure for the 2009 interactive fiction competition. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we were in the, we were in the 2009 if comp and, uh, made a game called Earl gray. Um, that was, um, uh, I, I still really like it's, 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 it's a little hard to play cause you have to download an interpreter and we never really sort of succeeded in porting it to a browser or anything, but you would, um, it works by pulling, you would, you would get little descriptions of rooms and objects and you could pull a letter out of any of the words and, and stick it in your inventory. Then you could stick the letter into other words. So you could literally change, like you could change a bear into a bar and then you would oh, have that's a, pretty good. You would have an E and then you could find somewhere to put the E, you know, and then it would sort of literally change sort of the context that you were playing in. That sounds incredibly complex. It was, you know, it was a, it was a. I mean, to uh, to run, like to play, it sounds amazing, but like there, there seems to be so many variables there. Uh, yeah, you know, and and we we had to there were it, there it was fun to develop because we had to make these little tools like um, you know, Allison would make a script to uh ensure that you know I hadn't written a sentence where you could accidentally pull a letter out of the wrong word that we hadn't accounted for. You know, we had to be really careful about what even words we used that could be affected that way. Um, so it was it was kind of like half uh, writing exercise and and yeah, half game design. Um, so how, how and, did that go? Was that did you enjoy that process? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I was I was that was you know, and it was I was I was really you know, uh, sat really gratified by the whole process because it was like. Um, you know, I, 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 I was, it was a deliberate effort to try to like reconnect with that part of me that had, had made games and enjoyed that. Uh, but I had never really taken a crack at it. So what prompted you to, to reach out or was it just, the, was it just the chance encounter that made you think about it again? Or yeah, was there something bit. specific it was, or was it like a game? Or? I think it started with the chance encounter, but I think it, it, it was just sort of a building, you know, um, a desire to sort of reconstruct that outlet in my life. Um, you know, the, the Colbert report was like a, a, a ton of fun to work on, but there wasn't necessarily like a ton of room for like video game content on a political satire show, <laughs> you know, uh, 
driven by the news of the day. Yeah. Um, so kind of recognizing that I wanted to pursue that still and trying to make the time to do it was a, was a, just a, something I worked on for a while. Um, and and, yeah, sorry. Well, I, it, it, it was, it was right around that time too, that, um, I, uh, I went to college with Jamin Warren who started kill screen, the magazine. Okay. And so, uh, we, we had, we sort of knew each other. We were acquainted with each other and that was, that was around the time that he started, you know, that he started the original iteration of it when it was a magazine and, and he had asked me to write some stuff for that. And I had just made this game. So I felt like, no, I can write about games now because yeah. I made one. You know? So I, so I, I kind of got back into kind of the, that was my entry point back into sort of like the contemporary scene as it exists today. It was sort of how I met all the other people that I know in games and well, stuff like that. Well, we're going to, we'll, we'll, reconvene that in a moment i'm gonna just branch yeah. off and ask you a bunch of uh, random questions oh, great. I, I, sure. I, I say quickfire if probably isn't going to be quickfire um, i'll do my best <laughs> but yeah okay so rob um if you are prone to such things uh what what was your worst rage quit oh um you know i uh i try to keep a pretty level temperature um, I will say that I, when I, when I was in college, I was playing Final Fantasy VII on a piece on the PC because I didn't have a PlayStation, and I believe that I had pirated it, uh, so I didn't have the discs. And the result was I ran into this bug, where uh, there's a part of the game where you where you race uh, chocobos. Okay. And it's like a big plot point that you have to get past this race to to continue the game. And there was a known bug where if you didn't have the discs for the game, it would lock up when you got to that part of of it of of, of the story. And so that was my rate. I was just like, "You're telling me that I've put forty hours into this thing?" Which, again, in fairness, I had stolen. Yeah. I did not pay for. But um, when I realized that I would have to either start over with like you know discs that i purchased legitimately or play on a playstation um or just drop it i just dropped it that was my rage quit i was i was like i'm, I'm done with this i'm not going to finish that's, Final that's pretty never. mild there's no no broken controllers no kicked in doors or anything like that you know i never yeah it's not it's not uh uh I, I i guess it's just not how i express myself oh congratulations <laughs> <laughs> um uh, Rob, if you had to uh, play a game with death for your own mortal soul, uh, what game are you best at? Uh, Samurai Gun. Samurai Gun? I is that think. that kind of PS1 one-hit kill game? No, that's not, is it? No, it's um, it's a PC game that is of more recent vintage. It was made by a guy named Bob Life. Um, ah, okay. it's, I know. it's sort of a dueling game where you're samurai, but your gun, your swords are also guns sold. Um, it's either samurai gun or smash brothers 64, like the original smash brothers. I can, I can really, I can hold it down. Any character? Uh, Pikachu. Pikachu. Uh, were you ever know. were you ever competitive like you know on the on the broader the broader no, scale? No, 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 no. I mean, and you couldn't for sixty four. I mean, I, I mean, I guess you could get to like you know sort of like in person tournaments and stuff. I never did that, but I I could. I I never, 
I never didn't feel competitive with anybody I played with in that game. And I definitely would run into people and they'd be like, oh, you think you're good at Smash Brothers? Well, let's play. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm pretty good at Smash Brothers. <laughs> this, uh, I never played Smash Brothers um, and I had no idea of how competitive it was. And I discovered this uh, this documentary series on YouTube right, called yeah. The Smash Brothers, I think. Uh-huh. And it's really long. It's like about six hours long and it's like the full history of competitive Smash Brothers from original like land parties to to play in at the uh what's the big the evo events like now in front of big stadiums of people it's just it's a it's a really amazing uh documentary because they have so much great footage yeah and so i don't know i think uh that that's like the sort of like if the past version of myself was responsible for playing for my life i think okay. that's what i would choose i think in the modern context it would be samurai gun or maybe um you ever play super pole riders that yeah. game for uh, sports friends, I'm really good at Super Pole Riders. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, are you a competitive gamer? Do you do you get competitive with games? I mean, clearly you do with Smash Brothers, but I I uh I like to find the like degenerate strategy. I like to find the I like you know I often like from like a pure like Twitch hand eye coordination standpoint, I can't uh hack it with the people who are sort of elite that way that's that's never been my strength but if it's a game where you can sort of um find the loophole that lets you sort of quietly build up you know like the bigger army than everybody else in a way that shouldn't be possible like to, that to, to cheese it i believe is the term yeah i'm a little bit of a cheeser i think <laughs> so like i i think i'm competitive in the sense that like i but the thing that brings me delight is in like sort of like uh, trying to put together kind of like a strategy behind the scenes like that and then kind of like um, yeah, reveal it when it's too late for anyone else to do anything. <laughs> what, do you have any any notable examples of, uh, of winning in the worst way? I was, yeah. you know, uh, I, I heard the episode that you did with Zach Gage and, uh, you know, uh, he's a, uh, a, a, a great friend of mine and, and I, he even mentioned playing the Game of Thrones board game uh, I believe is like sort of the rage quit thing Yay. well the sequel to that story is that in a subsequent time playing the game he and I decided we would ally with each other against the other four players and we just figured it all out by texting each other throughout the throughout the game like we never talked in person we just kind of like exchanged very brief text messages kind of discreetly <laughs> and um kind of uh were, were able to like um uh affect competition you know kind of like um uh, pretend that we were uh, adversarial but then sort of uh switch um at a moment where it was kind of yeah again like sort of too late for anyone to do anything about it there is something so thrilling about the <laughs> with with games like that where you can kind of employ some real subterfuge and to to act with somebody knowing that you're both going to double cross everybody in the end is just oh it's the best and it's you know and it's and it's just outside of the rules and it's and so ever <laughs> you know it, it, uh, it's it's um and 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 especially in those games where there's sort of a human diplomacy element to it yeah. um it, it almost feels organic to the experience to sort of try to figure out what the what the boundary is of, of what you can get away with, um, you know, within the sort of like 
relatively safe space of the game. Yeah. Um, it's not really a way that you would like treat your friends in real life. Uh, <laughs> it's the, the worst uh, part of the whole thing is I've done that in, in games myself and it just, I, I cannot stop smiling. I'm literally smiling now yeah. thinking of a time I've done a really good double cross. Uh-huh. It's so uh-huh. infuriating to everybody else, but it's, a, it's, it's an infectious feeling. It's, and it, and it, and the, for me, the amount, the amount that it's amusing kind of, um, is, a. Uh, inversely proportional to the amount of time everyone has invested in the game like <laughs> i i i could never get into neptune's pride for that reason because like you, you, it's like a sort of space uh strategy game. yeah it's, it's, like but it's all in real time though so it takes ages to play through a game oh my lord and you know you play for like two weeks and like wake up at six in the morning to make sure your fleet does the thing that you want it to do and then like you know after after weeks and weeks of that someone double crosses you and it's like all right now we've We've, we've crossed a line. This is, this is, that's, that, that's real time. We're not getting back versus like, you know, sort of an afternoon of tabletop gaming. It feels a little more, everyone has agreed this is a little more disposable. In oh, terms that's of, amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I think I would smile even harder. I'm a, I think I'm a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Well, <laughs> the fact that you give it away, I think, prevents you from being a truly uh, evil actor. That is actor. true. That is true. It's, if, if they can suss it out, then you, you um... Then, then at least you're not a monster. <laughs> um, okay, well, well, talking of, of, of comedy, this is. Um, I'm actually quite interested to hear, hear your, your take on this. Not that I haven't been interested in anything else that you've said. Um, it, one of the things I ask everybody, one of the questions I always ask everybody is uh, to try and sort of think of games that have really made them laugh, because I think it's just super rare in general in games. It's one of the rarest things is to have a really funny games so have you got any examples of games that have really made your life you already mentioned uh star control too earlier but yeah i mean that's that that's certainly a big one i mean i i played uh, you know there was ezt games that made me laugh uh there was a guy named um eric mckeon i don't even know if i'm pronouncing that right because i only know his name from the internet um who was like a few years older than me who would make games that i thought were hilarious um i actually found him recently too he does uh he lives in the twin cities and does improv um yeah yeah and i you know i got to tell him like hey you know like your your stuff was like a comedy influence on me and like when i was a kid uh, but like was, funny how really... though do you think was it funny in the in the dialogue in the writing yeah a little bit in the dialogue but you know i i i the thing that you said about like game it being hard for games to be funny is like for me i, I always sort of took issue with that because like you know um almost more so than uh, more so is it's 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 a little bit of you have to make an argument but like with games if you're a designer you really have total control over what the player is seeing and kind of not just what they're seeing but what they've just seen like you know in your head kind of like what uh the the the, you have so much control over timing and timing is such a big part of comedy um in in my opinion you know, a game like Undertale recently, um, I think is a really good example of a game that just had like sort of total control, total awareness of like just where even the player's eye is at a given time and use that to sort of just like devastating effect with just like really good jokes and, and obviously like great writing and, and, and really good lines. But I just think even just sort of like a funny games, I think, uh, have a kind of like situational awareness in common um where they're really kind of taking advantage of the fact that they know that you're trying to walk 
you know, uh, across the room. And when you reach the halfway point, you know, the, the chandelier is going to fall on your head or whatever. Like, like, uh, you know, like the old Lucas arts games, I think are, are always sort of mentioned in conversations like this, like kind of the, the monkey Island games, yeah. Sam and Max, um, because they, they're, they just have that sort of like wackiness to them. Yeah. Where, and like they were very funny, but the, the thing about those games like I just, I don't think I've ever really barely laughed at any of those games, and I think that's that's maybe down to me. I very rarely kind of laugh at things. Uh, the things that I always laugh the most at are clearly when bad things happen to other people, and um, and and surprise. Like if if I'm surprised by something, and I find with those games, I don't know they they weren't because they were kind of consistently kind of zany. I think, and you expected the writing to be good, and it was, and it was funny, but not not in a kind of Oh my god, my sides are, are hurting from laughing. There's a game called um, Callahan's Cross Time Saloon for PCs um, that is a adventure game, I think, based on a series of comic books. I, I had never read the comic books, but the the game, uh, there were parts of that game that made me just that just destroyed me with laughter. That's a and, really good name. Yeah, it's like a kind of like there's a bar that connects various dimensions, and so you go to the bar and you meet all these sort of characters that are all have their own problems in their own places and times. And um, there's like there's a there's, you know, I I I think sometimes a game has to be willing to make terrible jokes in order to achieve kind of like the best case scenario, like yeah. which is the belly laugh, like because that game is full of like just filthy not in the sense of being profane but just like unforgivable puns <laughs> uh uh but it there's there's a kind of rope a to that where it's like if you groan at a few jokes and then it really lands one you're kind of on your back foot yeah and then all of a sudden you're just you're laughing and and you, and you may not even know why <laughs> um callahan's was great at that oh, um man. i'm gonna have to check that it was based on a, a series of of books i believe i've just looked it up Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, that that uh, glad glad I remembered that properly. Oh, sorry, I've I've got completely distracted by the Wikipedia page for uh, for Callahan's, uh, Callahan's cross time to Yeah, yeah. It's, it, there's some there's some detail there. I mean, there's like it's just like, the, the, it's a list of all the stories because it's a bunch of short stories in the first book, and the first story is called "The Guy with the Eyes," which is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> That one I haven't played in a long time. I should pick it up again to, and, and see if I'm... Uh, I, I hope I haven't led anyone astray, but I, I, I really do have great memories of it. And, um, you know, like, nowadays, I think with, like, you know, even with, like, Twine and, and stuff, like, and, and Unity being sort of, like, uh, engines that have made it possible for, like, a lot of people to make um, games, you know, like, I, there are, I think there, there have been a lot of really funny games, like... Um, uh I'm trying to think like um uh the game uh Brooklyn Trash King okay um is is like is kind of always my sort of my go-to for um uh like funniest one of the funniest twine games out there uh and that is uh Ben Esposito made that he's Torah horse on Twitter uh, he also made a room of a thousand snakes. Yeah, um, of course. Um, which is a hilarious game that made me just lose it laughing the first time I played. Um, I think um, 
she doesn't make games as much anymore, but Merrick Copas um, made that game where it's like, I think the title is just like Vin Diesel is your dungeon master. <laughs> uh, and it's about Vin Diesel playing Dungeons and Dragons with Vin Diesel. That game is really funny. Actually, I played. Uh, uh, I spoke to AP Thompson on the show uh, a while ago last month, and he made a Twine game called Tony Hawk's Pro Data, which immediately I loved because of the title, and it's, yeah! it's just amazing. You just you, you, you're working your way up through tricks to impress a girl. It's it's wonderful and amazing. There's like you know, it's um, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of really funny stuff out there now. I think and um. You know, so I it's it's fun. I mean, I I I it, I think that's and, and and they have that sense of sort of playfulness with uh, the players' attention. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, talking of like you know current games and getting back in the scene. So so you'd mentioned that you'd been sort of drawn back into games after maybe yeah. being away for a while. Was it amazing to you? Like, or had you kept up with what was going on in games, or, or were you like, oh my god, look at all these... Because it was like a new wave of, of indie games by that point, I'm assuming. Oh, for sure. And um, and, it, and it was really, um, you know, really uh, enjoyable to get back into it, because the, the, the so much of the stuff was so good. I mean, I, I think, like, one of the first... Like, when, when, like, the Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP came out, was like right around the time I had started writing about games again and I, I reviewed it for kill screen and you know remember just having it be like really uh, exciting to have a game that I thought was so good and so kind of deep in terms of what it was going for because um, that that's a game kind of about nostalgia yeah um, and 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 you know uh, their art is kind of about nostalgia because it's that sort of like it's 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 kind of it's kind of 8-bit but it's kind of not and you know the way that like our memory of 8-bit is kind of 8-bit but it's yeah. kind of not you know I I, I I read Venus Patrol I you know like follow Brandon Boyer on Twitter and like so 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 would, would have this sense of like all the sort of exciting stuff that people were doing um, out in the world and it was you know it, there was a real sort of uh it felt like a real sort of renaissance because absolutely not, not only that, but like with like kind of between before Twitter became a cesspit, um, it was a really great place to sort of just meet people. Oh and, yeah. Like, see, see what everyone was up to and share jokes and kind of pick up, you know, recommendations for, for stuff to play. And you and made a bunch of, of Twitter bots. Did you not? I remember reading about that. Oh yeah. 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 And, um, for sure. And that, and that was, that was kind of a, uh, I don't really think of them as games per se, but there's a fair amount of kind of, I guess, procedural literacy that goes into creating them um, because you're interacting with Twitter as a system and in some cases trying to sort of blend in with the people who use it. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I'll make a bot that generates kind of nonsense, but it'll also occasionally fave people's tweets. <laughs> and because that's an action that we associate with humans, um, it, it, it gives it, it sort of lends a little um, realism to the bot's personality um, and and so yeah like you know those I'm I'm generally just trying to get people to laugh and uh, enjoy themselves so it's I get I suppose the same principle as kind of humor in games where you're you you're trying to control a system to the maximum extent in order to kind of achieve sort of a desired effect in your audience what sort of um, bots did you make 
Oh boy. Um, the the one. Uh, I think the one that has, is the most widely known is a bot called Olivia Taters. Okay. Um, she's a she's a bot who's a um has uh she's she's sort of just has the personality of a kind of a teenage girl, and um she uh sort of repurposes tweets that um she finds on the like uh by searching for uh uh adverb phrases okay. like uh, like totally and completely and uh, 100% and so she's she works pretty simply like she just finds two of those things like um you know uh my day was completely ruined uh by this rainstorm or um you know uh I would be completely in love with uh, Tom Hiddleston, and then she'll just swap the beginning of one and the end of the other. So it'll be like uh, my day was completely ruined by Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> like, and so it, it it she makes new sentences out of sentences that other people use just because of a sort of like quirk in English uh, in the way that adverb phrases work. Um, but she also will reply to you, um, and, you know, sort of find a noun in something that you sent to her and then bolt an adverb phrase onto the end of it. So she, she has a sort of like fairly natural way of speaking. But there must be a similarity um, between like the, you know, you're saying, uh, learning ZZT when you're younger and you spend as much time kind of making stuff as playing stuff because it's exciting. To, uh, it's magic. You're, you're doing, you're writing some code and suddenly this thing is like alive on the screen. It must be the similar sort of thing with, with a Twitter bot. You're kind of yeah. watching it go out into the world and interact with I, real people. I think so, for sure. And 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 there is that sort of like like you say, like sort of an interactive component to both of them. Um, and yeah, so so that that's probably the most sophisticated bot um, that I've made. And I've made some silly ones. I actually just a couple of weeks ago, I got this terrible stomach bug that had me laid up for like four or five days. Um, uh, and it turns out it's it's it, it in it here in here in the states there's a there's an outbreak of it um that's been sort of tearing up the east coast f- all winter and so if you uh do a search for stomach bug on twitter you just see everybody complaining about the stomach bug they have okay. um so i just made a really simple bot that grabs people's complaints about their stomach bug and replaces the phrase stomach bug with the word pokemon <laughs> Uh, so it's just a lot of people talking about the horrible Pokemon they caught and, uh, they really don't want to catch their brother's Pokemon and I can't believe I went to school and caught a Pokemon. Uh, and you know, it's, again, it's, it's really silly and it, um, I made it in sort of like a feverish state kind of on the first day that I vaguely felt better, but wasn't totally recovered yet. So I, I don't really stand behind it as like a work of like technological sophistication, but it really did speak <laughs> to a sort of like desperation that um, it, it really did capture a certain like uh, uh, surreal. I'd been by myself for five days because okay. you know, I just didn't want to give it to anybody. So I really like, want to give anybody your Pokemon been around. Yeah, no, exactly. Don't catch it. <laughs> uh, uh, um, so, you know, it's like, yeah, like the Twitter bots for sure are like especially in contrast to like, you know, the, all the work that goes into making even a very simple video game. Um, so how, how did you sort of juggle that time then? If you, if you had this new kind of appreciation and interest in, in making little games again, like were there, 
this is interesting because I've been speaking to I'm working on a, a special episode at the minute I do like autosave episodes about themes or ideas and I'm doing one about uh, essentially like first time devs like people who've just started or you know are just in university and still studying it and trying to sort of talk to the the reality of game dev essentially and a lot of those people work full-time jobs but they are they are in the same way that you know you're in a band and oh, i'm going to make it big with the band but i'm just doing this to kind of pay the bills and stuff which is which is which is probably the truth for 90 percent of people in all creative arts they are those people um and so when you were uh, started you got this bug for coding again how did you think of it did you think of it as like like playing an instrument or something like this is a fun thing to do at night or were you thinking of it more in i could take this a bit more seriously one of the one of the really nice things about working in television is that there's generally a at least in the in the in the mode that i was doing it in, in sort of late night tv is you know you're you uh you'll work for sort of seven or eight weeks in a row and then you'll the show will go on hiatus for a week and everyone will kind of like scatter off you know to 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 get their energy back and then come back and do it for another seven or eight weeks and then go off for another week and then come back for seven or eight etc and that was sort of my pace of work for uh like i said like you know over a decade um time i by the time i stepped away and um that was always a really good time to kind of like try to dive in to a project you know like to, to to put some work into a game or a bot or just brainstorming or whatever, you know, like it's, it was the most sustained time that I had away from the job that I was doing to support myself. And were you just thinking of it as like, this is a fun thing that I enjoy doing? You weren't necessarily taking it, I mean, obviously taking it seriously, but not like to a professional degree, I suppose. Uh, you know, not to make it pre- sound pretentious, but just as an art project. I oh, mean, absolutely. Just, yeah, just, that's what I mean uh, when I say like playing uh, instruments or something. It's, it's yeah, a, like, a creative uh, endeavor. For sure. And, and you know, like uh, it was the the um and there were actually a few moments where i got to make like a bot or a little game for work and those were always really satisfying i mean uh but generally um i was doing it on my own time and so yeah it was like kind of like a uh a side a side hustle just a little project to kind of like you know just stay in touch with the stuff that um uh, I was interested in pursuing for myself um, to to sort of keep my own sort of like artistic edge. Sharp. And were you still like playing games? Because I imagine with the kind of the the schedule that you had, game time would have been quite limited. Like, were you, were you still able to sort of keep up with? Sometimes, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I uh, I've I'd especially like the last few years, um, I got pretty involved with the IGF. Um, so I would, I would, you know, kind of, uh, maybe not play a ton of games all year, but then, you know, around fall and winter kind of really spin up and and try to play as many games as I could that people had made, you know, sort of in the indie scene and, um, had the, had the honor of being on the narrative jury for a few years. And so really got to have some like great high level conversations with people and would play the games that everyone recommended and sort of get into it with them about which ones, you know had the best, you know, sort of storytelling chops, the punchiest writing. And, you know, I, I always gave extra points if a game made me laugh. Um, <laughs> and, but was it, what about it, like in work? Was that 
like did, did everybody else play games i imagine if you're involved in something like the the igf and you know you're playing a lot of relatively i imagine obscure games like were you a kind of a, an evangelist for that like with with co-workers and friends yeah for sure and and you know i i you'll recall that my my answer to the the play for your life game was samurai gun i mean the way i got good yeah. at that game was by playing it at work and the reason I would play video games at work, which sounds like a sort of contradiction in terms, is that sometimes the rhythm of television is such that you are, um, it's a little bit hurry up and wait. Yeah. You, you will be kind of on your toes all day, kind of waiting for a call to come that's like, hey, um, you got to have something written about this climate bill in an hour. And it's got to be funny and it's got to understand what the climate bill is. You know, uh, I'm making that up, but it, yeah. it, that, that was the kind of thing that would happen. Or it was like, you know, the president was just on TV and said this wacky thing. Can you, um, what can you do with it? You know, and that call could come at sort of any moment. Um, but there were times where for a half hour, 45 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, you were just kind of sitting around trying to keep your motor running without um necessarily having anything specific to be working on and so um for for me and you know not not everyone operates this way but definitely for a handful of me and my coworkers, uh having like kind of like sharp punchy games with short short play sessions where they were like maybe a little competitive and maybe also collaborative samurai gun is a perfect example i mean you can play a game of samurai gun and two minutes yeah um and it would just sort of give everyone sort of enough of a kind of like boost and a break that you were still sort of ready when the phone call came and you could always pause it or quit if you actually had work to do you know and you you obviously would make sure that you were finished with whatever you were supposed to be doing before you picked it up but was there ever a time um, when that wasn't the case a particularly heated competition no it was you know it's 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 you, you gotta you gotta stay professional. I mean, it's it's it's, uh, it's, it's definitely um, uh, there's a balance there, of course. Um, but like you know, uh, one of the one of the really um, ambitious things that the Colbert Report did, and this was back in like 2008, 2009, I think 2009, was the the show went to Iraq and and did sh- did a series of shows from a forward operating base um, in Baghdad for soldiers. Um, and they sent half the staff and uh, half the staff went to Iraq and half the staff stayed back in New York City. And I was part of the half that stayed back in New York City. And the way that we worked was they had us come in on Iraq time. Okay. So my workday started at three in the morning and went until three in the afternoon. And so you would come in at three in the morning, totally delirious, and you'd get sort of like a sort of an assignment sent literally from the front and, um, you know, work that up and then you'd turn it in and it would be five in the morning and you'd still sort of be delirious. And that was around the time that, um, one of the things that we were doing in the office to blow off steam was playing, um, master of Orion two. Okay. Sort of, uh, uh, one of the like kind of late stage DOS four X games, um, that I had sort of just remembered was fun. And we were on a LAN at the time. So you could sort of, everyone could play from their desk. And I just remember, you know, some of the some of the downtime was colossal because, you know, the the people who were off in Iraq weren't necessarily always phoning home to the New York office. They had plenty to deal with themselves. So some of the most epic 
games of Master of Orion that I've ever played happened during that week of Iraq shows <laughs> um, when we were just sort of like, it was sort of hurry up and wait, but on an, just a, an unprecedented scale because of the, the, the latency between the sort of um, field team and the home office. Uh, but yeah, like um, uh, uh, Samurai Gun, Rocket League, uh, uh, Duck Game. Are you familiar with Duck Game? Never heard of Duck Game. What's what's Duck Game? It's a uh, it's a local multiplayer game where everybody's a duck. Um, it's sort <laughs> of like very a lot of different uh, a lot of different weapons and environments. Really, sort of realistic cartoon ragdoll physics. So that game will make you laugh all the time. Um, it's it's hilarious. Um, and also it's short play sessions, so you can kind of fit it in when you are waiting for, um, you know, uh, waiting for the call to come. Yeah. To sort of like to sort of slide down the fireman's pole and do your, do your so job. So what about what about now though? Like, uh, have you had any kind of like? It kind of brings us back to my opening question, I guess. Like, what do you have any sort of video game indulgences now? Do you still play as much? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, 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 I, I was, I was working, you know, at the late show until pretty recently. And so it, I don't know that I've really been out for long enough to have my habits yeah. change per se. I, I will say that, you know, over the years, definitely, I would say my habits shifted in the direction of those sort of like games that I would play to sort of like, you know, uh, you know, dur- during the day sort of sparingly. Or during my commute, commuter games um, were, were became big for me. Like you know, playing like eight six eight hack or uh, really bad chess or um, pancake. Uh, you know, on the train to just sort of like wake myself up a little bit yeah. and, and get get ready for the day. Just even in a sort of meditative way. Um, like I said, I picked up Final Fantasy fifteen. I think just even as like a uh, a gesture toward like oh i could play a game that has like 65 <laughs> hours of content now like that that's that that's the thing i can add to my life so what what what's uh, what's in your future then rob what what is your what are your plans um you know i don't know i i uh i think i think i'll probably always be a tv writer by trade um uh but you know certainly if anyone out there is listening to this podcast and wants to get in touch uh uh i've, I've never had more time on my hands and i've never been more available <laughs> Uh, I, 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 like I said, I, the, the job that I did was so, was so demanding, um, all the time that it was sometimes hard to sort of, um, breach the surface and kind of see what else was out there. So, um, you know, I think after a pretty, uh, uh, a, a fairly long tenure, um, in, in, in a similar space, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of. Uh, excited to see what else is out there and meet new people meet new collaborators uh work on some of the projects i've had on the shelf for a while uh you know yeah pick up the violin again and uh uh just uh just try to grow a little bit is my hope that seems uh, that seems like an appropriate place to to finish up rob but um <laughs> if there's anything that hasn't come up that they wanted to mention any any specific thoughts or notions please do now and or just you know let people know where they can find you if they wanted to get in touch or anything i'm on twitter uh rob dubbin uh it's probably the easiest way to find me 
Um, and if you uh, want to send me an email, my email address is dubbin, D-U-B-B-I-N, at pluto.computer. That's an excellent email address. Oh, thank you. It really is. Um, well, honestly, that was, that was great fun. Are you happy with that, Rob? Oh, it was wonderful. It was really great to talk to you, Declan. I, I, I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and asking these questions. I, a lot of these memories, I think, had been sort of like covered in dust for, <laughs> for, for a pretty long time, uh, especially my uh, QBasic malware days. So, um... <laughs>